Today, we are continuing this four-week teaching series called This is Mercy Road, dealing with real-life complicated issues. If you've seen the TV show This Is Us, you get the backstory of these fictitious characters, and we are telling you real-life backstories of the work God has done in real people in our church. And today, you're going to hear from an individual that probably had to have the most courage of any one of the four weeks to share. And I need to just start and tell you that today is a little bit different. Uh, This person, as we talk about the issue of the lust of the flesh that we'll read in 1 John chapter 2, it does bring up questions of attraction and sexuality. And I want to let you know that our heart and desire, we we taught on what we believe as a church. And I just want to say this. I didn't say this last night, and I should have. I was a little naive. Our heart tonight is not to reteach what we did two years ago. So, first of all, um, from those of you that have come in and don't know what we believe about the sexuality issues, I mean, we've taught that we believe uh, marriage traditionally, biblically, is one man, one woman, and that that's a way to honor God in your life, and also that the local church has done a historically horrible and disgusting job at treating people who are uh, dealing with those issues and disagree with our stance on that, and that we have people in our church who are figuring out who they are in Christ who that is an issue in their life. And we love them. They're our friends. And you will see uh, people in our church. So I just wanted to start by saying that, that uh, the hope today is not to rehash those issues and bring divisiveness. And this particular individual's story is not about that. While it brings up some of those issues, uh, his story is more about seeking love through lust in his life with all kinds of different people. And even though he brought up issues of attractiveness, Uh, and attraction, he never considered himself or identified himself as a gay man or a bisexual man, like, or a straight person. He just was very confused and searching out uh, who he was. And so I hope that we could just like let all that sit for a second, because in our hot topic culture where we lynch onto like one little thing that someone says and then we get all angry at each other without listening to one another, I hope you will give us some grace this weekend as we're just trying to be honest what God has done in this particular individual's life, and Christians not to broadly apply that to all of the LGBT community that might be out there. I don't think that is a healthy thing to do. We cool? Okay. I thought that would be important for us to share with one another. That said, power on your Bibles or turn to the one on your book rack to Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Our theme verse for these first three weeks is 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And we talked the first week about the pride of life, last week about the, the lust of the eyes, and this week about the lust of the flesh. Sexual temptation in our culture. Looking for completion from another person and another human being. And I would, I would say this. I think we have this really unbiblical, bad theological view in our culture and society that somehow, in order to be happy, I have to find completeness and wholeness in another human being. I mean, if you are in that category, do we have any helpless romantics out there? Any of you? Come on now, be honest. Some of you helpless, two people. This is the saddest service. (laughs) Just really, we we don't love any of that third person over there. Thank you. Uh, okay, so if I could just do a humble brag, I, although uh, there was a time in my life I'd like to think that I was a helpless romantic, I was a guy who'd show up with like a dozen roses and that sort of thing. I met my wife in TJ Maxx in San Dimas, California, 
And yes, and uh, I asked her out shortly after that. She said no. So I asked her again. She said no. And then about 35 to ask sin, she finally agreed to meet me for coffee and go to church together. And that's how we started getting to know each other. And I figured after we started to get to know each other and dated a little bit, after four months, that was long enough. Let's do it, baby. So I was going to get engaged. And so I convinced my wife, which I really think to this day, she, how naive can you be? She really had no clue that my, my brother had given us free tickets to go to New York City because she had always wanted to go there and visit. And so we went there, and uh, I proposed there in Central Park, right there in her dream place, and all this, this beautiful scene. So I just want to share that. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but I thought it was really look, made me look good. So could we just appreciate that together? <laughs> No, here's the problem with the helpless romantics, right? We're always like looking. If we're going to be happy, we got to find that someone. And we got to demonstrate our love to them. And they, if, if they don't love us back, then our whole life is ruined. It's over. And there's something really unhealthy about that, including in our marriages, that if someone resists us in a sexual way, that they don't love us. And we spend a lot of time in our life searching for these things. That's at the heart of what I'd like to describe, that our completeness is biblically not to be found in another human being. For you Jerry Maguire fans out there, he or she doesn't complete you. <laughs> All right? Like, it, 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 biblically, the, what's the only thing that should complete us? From a Christian perspective, it's different than the world's perspective. Anybody know? It's the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Right, like God is the only thing in our life that is meant to complete us. The other icing on the cake is the human friendships and romantic relationships, absolutely. But that is not meant to complete us. We should be holding Christ. And I believe Jesus started his active ministry after 30 years on the planet by demonstrating where his identity, where his firm foundation was. And it wasn't in what he did. It wasn't what, who he dated or who he married. By the way, Jesus never got married. He was a single person who remained celibate. So if you can only be whole in another person with sexual experiences, then what are we doing following Jesus? The truth is... He lived those 30 years, and then he began his three years of active ministry by demonstrating where his firm foundation was rooted. And that's what I want to read. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on now. It says this in Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? If you're new to the Bible, you're like, who's uh, John? Is this like the guy that wrote the first John, second John, third John, Revelation, the gospel of John? No. Different John. This is John the Baptist. You remember he wore the camel skin, lived out in the wilderness, ate honey and locusts. He was literally the first hippie. He was essentially like the opening band for Jesus, paved the way for all of his ministry. And Jesus says, I want to be baptized by you. But in other spots, John the Baptist says, I'm not fit to tie your sandals. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who's going to take on the sin of the world so that you and I could be forgiven and draw near to an eternal God. One day live with him eternally and experience him in our life. Now he's like, I, I'm not going to baptize you. And look what happens here. Verse 15, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. It's almost as if he says, look, I, I get it, but we need to do this. Jesus is setting the example for us as Christians. 
He doesn't need to be baptized in order to, you know, have God in his life. He's God incarnate. <laughs> He's fully God and fully human. Nothing changes physiologically or spiritually with him. This is just the moment of he's about to begin his ministry, turn towards Jerusalem, do all these miracles and, and lead people to the Lord and eventually be crucified and raised on the third day. He's going to do all this stuff. Begins it by being baptized. So quick side note, if you consider yourself a Christian and you have never been baptized, I just want to ask you very politely, why not? Why not? Jesus did it at the beginning. Baptism is always kind of a first step for the Christian to declare that I know Jesus and I want to make him the primary identity of my life. On Rooted on a Friday night, uh, do we have anybody here that was here at Rooted on Friday night? Yes. I heard we baptized four people. You got baptized? Woo! The two of you. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's what it's about, that we have him declare Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and uh, he is going to be the primary identity of my life. It's my firm foundation, how I make my choices and decisions in my life. And I think you'll see that's incredibly important, particularly if we're talking about uh, the lust of the flesh. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, which I just love this, right? It's like, whoa. And the dove comes down, and then we get the picture of the Trinity here, like a little family reunion, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. By the way, uh, Romans 8, 15 says that if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, made him the primary identity of your life, you share in his sonship or daughtership in your case. of You're a woman that you get to call him Abba, which means Daddy. Like, you have that type of relationship with your heavenly father. That, that your identity is rooted then in I am a son or I am a daughter of God, first and foremost. Not what I do, not how popular I am, not how prestigious I am, not in the, my sexual experiences. I'm not defined by my spouse. All The only thing that defines me where my firm foundation at the core is that I'm a child of God, I'm a son or a daughter, and that he loves me right where I am. And he is well pleased with me. Be like, uh, I'm not Jesus. He ain't well pleased with me. That's the beauty of what the whole story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus is, is that when the father looks at you, he sees the work of his son and he is well pleased because you've done the one thing that matters, receive the grace and mercy that Jesus freely offers to you. You see, the big idea that I'd like to share with you, God's love is better than mine, is better than your lust. That so often, this thing we think that's going to bring us meaning and purpose, these experiences, lust, doesn't really bring us God's love, completeness, wholeness like we truly desired. I'd love to talk about that with you. We pray with me. God, I thank you for all these people. All these people have come in here for different reasons, too. We have different spiritual backgrounds. We've come from uh, raised differently. We have different ideas and concepts culturally. But God, may we just hear from you today? May my words get small. May you use this uh, speaker to communicate to us. May we apply it to our lives and not try and condemn anyone else. God, speak to us. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Do we have any forgetful people in the room? Yeah, okay. A lot of people. Yeah, not romantic at all, but very forgetful. Okay, maybe that works on Valentine's Day. But... Uh, 
I'll tell you, I am a super forgetful person, my wife will tell you. I spend hours every week looking for my keys, my wallet, trying to find my phone. I'm always misplacing them. And then when I find them, maybe this is you for the forgetful people, right? When you lose them, you spend hours looking for it, and then you realize something. This isn't my fault, right? It's not my fault. It, at first, we go first, this is my spouse. It was Lisa's fault, right? Because she clearly moved them when I wasn't looking. That's totally. And then, like, if that doesn't work, like, she's not in the mood for that, then, then it's always the youngest child every time. Youngest child definitely did something. And then I'll span, I'll get so frustrated and angry and use all this time looking around, trying to find something. And then at the end, an hour later, where do you find it? In the pocket of your coat, right? It's always, like, right there with you all along. Here's the worst one. My son, uh, Jake, he's nine, fourth grade. Last year, he got a Switch from his grandparents for Christmas, the Nintendo Switch. And uh, when he got in trouble a couple months ago, we took it away from him. He got grounded from the Switch. And I hid it somewhere in the house. I have no idea where. (laughs) He earned it back like a month ago. I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. I just, I don't know where it is. So if anybody wants a free switch, just come to our house. We're not around and search all our cabinets. Maybe you'll find it, but we, we can't find it. And it's so frustrating. Anyways, I've literally spent hours looking for that thing. Some of us, we have spent hours and days and months and years of our life looking for completeness and wholeness in another person. That if we finally find that love then we could finally be happy. And and this is everybody, by the way, not any particular people. This is everyone. And we we look for it constantly. And when we don't find what we're really looking for, we settle. We settle for these little physical moments. And we, we boil down love to just this physical, sexual experience of lust. Rather than an emotional and a spiritual one. The problem in our society is we're looking for, I know it's the song, but we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We live in a hypersexualized culture. All you got to do is turn on the TV, watch a movie, listen to a song, look at the advertisements, and they are enticing us, literally hooking us in to purchase products with sexual lust. Watch a perfume or a cologne ad, man. Like, it's just, it's the way, it's pervasive in our society and our culture. There's no way to get away from it. And lust can look very different in every person's life. Everyone in here struggles at some capacity with it, but it looks different for each individual. But let me give you some of the disturbing stuff, right? The problem, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. One of those obvious places is in pornography. Here's just a few porn stats of our society today. That porn revenue is larger than uh, the revenue of ABC, NBC, and CBS combined. Combined. That's how big that media production is. The next one is the most disturbing, I believe, on the list. 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds have viewed porn online. Isn't that crazy? 90%. Parents, man, do not, I know devices are so hard to control sometimes. Do not let your kids have it alone in their room or in the bathroom, any place. Figure out a, a system, a plan, talk, pray about it, of what that looks for because it's destructive. And the enemy loves to use lust as a way to give you this little taste that you think that's going to make me happy, and then before you know it, you're hooked. Please pray about that. The other two that are just as disturbing, 33% of visitors, well, this is, this is just like surprising, to adult websites are women. So this isn't just a male problem. And 
there are more adult bookstores. The adult bookstores outnumber McDonald's restaurants in the U.S. by a margin of at least three to one. Isn't that crazy? And yet what most of us do, we live in a culture of shame and guilt and condemnation and finger pointing. And so what most of us do, we hide it. Whatever our struggle with lust is, it may not be pornography, we hide it. And we don't tell anybody. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Finds mercy. Let me read that one more time. I think this is really important. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You see, why we live in a hypersexualized culture, it's for too long in our churches, and this goes way back, the answer to talking about sex at all is just no. Don't do it. Don't ever bring it up. Don't talk about it. And when anyone does, judge them. Judge them hard. The truth is, a lot of people, all of us struggle in some capacity, and we hide it. Do you realize even some of the early church fathers did the very thing? If you go centuries back, gosh, Tertullian, who came up with the name Trinitas, Trinity, back in the third century, he had a very negative view of sex. He, it wasn't something that he encouraged people to talk about. Origen, uh, even a little bit earlier, Origen was the one that came up with the phrase eternally begotten son. If you know like the Nicene Creed or Apostles' Creed, the idea that Jesus was the eternally begotten son, Origen came up with that. He preferred castration of males over participating in sexual desires. But my personal favorite is a later church father, Jerome, uh, was involved with the Latin Vulgate, and he actually encouraged men when they became sexually aroused to run themselves into thorn bushes, I'm not making this up, to diminish uh, the sexual physical arousal. I don't know about you, but that would probably do it. But it's just crazy that that's what it would come to, that we couldn't just be honest and talk about this, that God's the one that created sex in the first place. He's the one that made it pleasurable. But it's when we live in a hypersexualized culture that it can only be complete if I have this person in sexual experience. That's dangerous. Our, 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 our identity should only be found in being a son or daughter of the living God. See, James 1.13 uh, to 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Enticed. Underline or circle or write that down, the word enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The word entices, delazo, to entrap, allure, entice, hook. Do we have any fishermen or women in the room? Right? Like the whole idea, if you fish swallows it, hook, line, and sinker, is it's so deeply ingrained, like they can't get out of it. Nobody wakes up one day and is like, man, I really want to get into really disturbing pornographic issues. Right? But it happens because the enemy comes in with a little less, it hooks us. And then we get stuck. And before we know it, we go to the spiral effect of going to some very dark places. And it happened to everyone, right? That we can't apply that to every person that struggled with that issue. But the reality is the enemy loves to hook us in the area of lust. The solution that we started this with and we're going to end with has to be to find our identity in being a child of the king. Which, interesting note, the word lust in the New Testament, it's epithemia, and it means sexual desire or desire for God. 
It's literally the same word in the New Testament. Let me, let me demonstrate this to you so that we have a choice of where our desire is going. That's why the enemy loves to use this to be destructive in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, not in passionate epithemia, lust like the pagans, right? So there it's about sexual lust. But look at uh, Luke twenty two fifteen, 15, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired epithemia to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I've desired to be with you. Uh, and then Philippians 1.23, I am torn between the two. I, epithemia, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. That same word is meant either for desire for God or sexual desire, and we have to determine which one is our primary identity. So as I invite up the, this person in a moment, we're going to watch his video. It's about six and a half minutes long. We're we'll going close our service with just a few questions for them. I want to encourage just a few things. This has taken incredible bravery for him being willing to share this. And his biggest fear, because he brings up some of the issues of attraction, that we would broadly apply this to every person. And I, as I started the service with, should not happen. This is his story. Don't make it someone else's story. We're not the place of condemnation and judgment, all right? But this is his story as he's worked through it with God. And his fear was that it might cause some people to think, oh, they're just... They, they, they like brainwashed or like we're just going to pray the gay away or like w- w- quickly make these little statements that don't really listen to Mark. See, Mark Talamentis has been in our church for several years. He got baptized here. And after he got baptized and began to walk his faith out, he joined a discipleship group, my huddle. And the first, he's been in it for three years now. And in the first year, some of the stuff began to come up. And because it was a safe place, God began to work in his life. And so this story is, for him, was about looking for love from all these other people and it confusing him because all he really ever wanted was to feel whole and complete. And he didn't find it in human beings. So let's watch this video together and then we'll close out our time. So my story goes back to when I was um, a young boy, probably like preteen age, um, years when started noticing that something was different about me. Um, started noticing that I had a lot of friends that were starting to get attraction to girls and a lot of people, you know, talking about dating and stuff like that. And that made me realize that there's something kind of missing in my life. I need to love someone and I need to be in relationships with people. And what that ended up causing was this thing in me that started making me wonder about my sexuality started to make me wonder if I was going to grow up being attracted to men or being uh, growing up um, being attracted to women. Uh, who should I date? Was I going to date men? Was I going to date women? Um, am I gay? Am I bisexual? Or am I straight? Those are all the things I didn't know at a young age. My sexual experiences started in my teenage years to my mid-twenties when I um, had sexual experiences with men and women. Um, try to help me discern which one I was going to be attracted to and which ones I wanted to be with. And that was really something that was really hard for me to deal with as a teenager and not share that with anyone to help me process or figure out what that really meant. And I felt alone because of that and I felt even kind of unbroken and kind of lost and not knowing how to handle or how to deal with those things. So just kind of continued life with I'll try both, I guess. I'll try dating women. I'll try dating guys. And that took me all the way up through my early 20s when I was doing those things and finding myself in both communities with 
um, hanging out in Broad Ripple with my guy friends and dating girls and stuff and hanging out with my gay community friends and going to gay bars with them and stuff. And a lot of that kind of just took me to endless weekends of hanging out with different crowds of people and kind of um, different sexual experiences with both genders and trying to, again, figure out what it was I was really wanting. That took me to my mid-20s when I actually had a relationship where I kind of considered my official relationship with a guy and thought it was everything I wanted, thought it meant that I was going to live a gay life, thought it meant I was going to be happy and um, everything would be great for me. Even during that relationship though, I still didn't really feel 100% full, still felt like there was something missing from me and felt like I um, wasn't exactly 100% what I wanted to be and who I wanted other people to see me as. So um, started saying like what else that could be and that was missing from my life and it really turned out to be that it was God that was missing. Um, that relationship ended up going south. I thought it was a terrible thing at that time when um, things had ended and that's when I actually really tried to open up to people here at Mercy Road, um, open up to the pastors about what was going on, open up to my huddle that I was in, which actually was the first huddle, so that was daunting in itself to share both uh, a Kairos moment that was really deep and personal to me, but sharing it with people who I hardly knew. Really felt that Mercy Road, basically, they didn't um, push me away, didn't make me seem like I wasn't wanted here. Instead, they actually walked through this um, discernment process with me and really um, were there for me when I was going through counseling and was seeking other people's views and opinions and thoughts to process what it was I was going through. Um, and it really, um, after several months of going through that, really was something where I uh, was really able to see that wasn't really a love or companionship that I was seeking from people themselves. It was looking for that from God and what it meant to have him fill that um, role versus people directly. We ran into a friend and kind of shared with him what was going on and he actually gave me this bracelet um, that says pray first and every time he talked about when I was feeling lost or feeling like the enemy was trying to pull me down the path that God had, didn't have desired for me and it's something I didn't desire. Um, he's like, look down your wrist and just pray about it, you know? Anytime you feel like you need to lust at someone or feel like you want to make an action based on a thought or a feeling, just pray about what God has intended for you in the long run and what it looks like for your life in the future. So after going through all of um, that and finding um, that the real desire was God's love for me and my love for Him. I'm now in a relationship with my girlfriend. It's been about two years and uh, things are going great with us. We end up meeting at work and I invited her here a couple years ago to the Christmas service um, prior to us starting the date, but to show interest in her. Because of my desire and love for God so much um, and it being so real and authentic, um, I'm able to have a solid relationship with my girlfriend um, and be able to show true commitment to her and to God as well. The reason why I was really like open to sharing, not because people on staff asked if I'd be willing to and I didn't feel any pressure by anyone, um, but it was really because my story is not gonna fit everyone else's storyline, 
but everyone can relate to feeling unwanted, unloved, and broken. Whether it's a guy who is, you know, has never had relationships or has struggled with interacting with females and um, decides to turn to pornography to fulfill that love and that void, or if it's women who haven't ever felt loved by another person or by a guy in which they turn to novelty fantasy books or something to fill what it's like to be loved through these books is why I wanted to share my story with people. I mean, you can imagine how hard this is to share. And, you know, I think he has the courage that maybe a lot of us wouldn't have. But will you welcome Mark Talamantis as he comes up here? Now, how many of you have seen Mark before around here? How, yeah, how many of you think Mark is on staff at Mercy Road? Yeah. Mark, Mark is actually not on staff. He just volunteers as their head usher, like, at every service all weekend long. He's amazing. But... Uh, you know, this has been a long process to, to work through, and you're still working through uh, parts of it, I'm sure, yeah. but why, sh why share this now? Like, what, what gave you the courage, and why did you really want to share? Yeah, so when asked to share, I really was starting to think and pray about people who struggle with the same type of thing, um, lust, feeling unloved, um, any type of thing like that, mm -hmm. and I thought if I share my story, other people may be willing to share theirs. Yeah, and I loved how even at the last service you talked about like being willing to just open up about really what's going on in your life. Yeah. And I think of anything we have done through this whole series, if this doesn't give you the courage to be honest about what's going on in your life, I don't know what will. But uh, the, the next question I wanted to ask you is what has been the hardest part of all of this if you go all the way back from the last several years mm -hmm. to now? What's been the hardest part of it? Yeah, um, originally I thought it'd be on stage, because I'm not really a person to be on stage and share and speak with people, but it's actually been um, not getting grace from people and understanding when I share with them, so. Yeah, yeah, when you share with people you care about and them not understanding, and yeah. so it, for the person that is out there that is struggling with lust in their life in some capacity, maybe even the ways you mentioned, whether it's uh, pornography or looking to other things for love, how would you encourage them? Um, I think the easiest thing is to actually understand that lust is a sin. Understand that it's okay to share a story. So find someone close to you, share. And before pursuing any relationship, lean to God first and seek his love. I love it, man. And, and you know, I was just talking to Eric Maitland in between services, and, and he thought we should really make this clear as well. I, I, I think God has big plans for Mark, and he's been working in his life for several years now. And I just want to encourage you, you know, if you're a Christian here and you have judged people like Mark before, it's okay to be honest and admit that, but let's become a church that can actually be there for people. And the reality is those questions started all the way back in like preteen years. And the suicide rate for people asking those questions is extremely high compared to the rest of society. And the church should be the safest place in the world to ask those questions. And unfortunately, it's not sometimes. And so if we cannot be a place of condemnation, hold truth, absolutely, but also offer grace, to be honest about where people are at, I think that Jesus smiles when we live like that. Do you agree? 
So can we just thank Mark for doing this? Because I think it takes a whole lot of courage and bravery, and I love him to death, man. And as we close out our time talking about what does it look like in my life to find my primary identity in God rather than other people. You know, my wife, I woke up this morning and she told me to share this. I couldn't believe she said it because I actually wanted her to, to share during the series because she's never done it and she just will not get on this stage probably ever. But uh, she told me to, to share this and I was like, really? She, she grew up without a dad. She didn't meet him until she was 13 years old. And in her teen years, she looked for love from all different types of guys. And when she did that, she said if she dated a skater, she became a skater. If she dated a, a jock, she got into sports. And she had no firm root and foundation of who she was. And she says it was only when she found Christ and began to make him the primary identity that she stopped floating around to all the whims of culture and society and what everyone else said she should be and became the person God created her to be. And so if you forget everything else today, I believe that God is real. He's in the room with us. He wants to call you son. He wants to call you daughter. He offers mercy and grace and forgiveness. He welcomes you with open arms. He is your good, good father that loves you and is well pleased with you. If we do the honest thing and receive his mercy and grace and forgiveness and begin to be honest, stop concealing, stop hiding, and be truth-filled about what's really going on in our lives. Because i got to imagine there are many of us as Christians in this room right now that there are things in our lives we do not want to share with those closest to us. And we hide the most important things from them. And what if we could actually live what the good news of Jesus is and receive his grace and forgiveness and start being real about it? Because it's only when we're real that we get to really receive that mercy. And so as we close our time, I just ask each of us, wherever we're at, to respond to this. I'm going to give you a couple ways to do that. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for the people uh, in this room, for the people attending online right now, that we could be real and honest about what's going on in our lives, and you can handle it. And i got to imagine for a lot of us right now, in the area of sexual lust, we know, if we're really honest, there are things that we don't want anybody to know. We hide it. And we think we even hide it from you. But the truth is you already know. And you just want us to be honest about it so that we can receive your forgiveness. And so if that's you in the room, let's take this time. Take 30 seconds right now, not out loud, but just in the, the, this quiet moment to share with him what's truly going on in our lives and confess as Proverbs teaches us to. Right now, take 30 seconds, confess whatever area of lust you're struggling with. God, forgive us. Forgive us for being susceptible to lust in our culture. Forgive us in our churches for not talking about it. God, forgive us as individuals in our areas of lust. We admit it. We confess it. We beg for your forgiveness. God, help us to find somebody that we spiritually trust to open up to, to begin to talk to about this. This is just the beginning. It's going to be a process of walking through whatever that issue is that the enemy loves to hook us, get us hook, line, and sinker, and then we don't know how to get out. So we just confess that to you. And then there are some of us in the room, this has been the one thing that's been so destructive spiritually in your life. You, you've never really surrendered your life fully to Jesus. You've known about him. 
but you've never given him your life. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now, whether it's to recommit your life or surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time, to make him the primary identity of your life, not the second or third tier. If that's you, pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I believe and receive your grace and forgiveness. I repent. I do that beautiful thing and admit my condition before you. Help me to change my ways. Then pray this. I surrender everything in my life to you, Lord Jesus. Use me. You are now my primary identity. God, we love you and we give you this church. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.